The Home Show with Sinead Ryan. With Colour Trend Paint on News Talk. Hello, and you're very welcome along to the latest Home Show podcast with me, Sinead Ryan. Coming up this week, the one. It's a 105,000 square foot Bel Air mega mansion, which has just sold for a whopping $125 million. But with another 20 million worth of completion work still needed, who's daft enough to have bought it? Marin McKeown has taken a tour. We'll be chatting about the EU intervention to soften the government's cough on proposed new strict laws around Airbnbs. Production designer Derek Wallace and what it takes to find a real home for a hit TV series. And having a blank canvas to work with is all very well, but it can lead to anxiety. Arlene McIntyre has some great tips for decorating those bare spaces. You're very welcome along this morning. If you would like to get involved in the podcast uh, or contact us in any way, of course you can do that. Uh, by email at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. We're on a Saturday morning from 8 to 9, so you can listen in then and you'll find me over on Instagram and Twitter at Sinead Ryan 100. Now, you're very welcome along, folks. It has been the Joe Show all week and we on News Talk and, of course, everywhere else have been following the US president as he takes his tour. Now, he has been, of course, to Louth. He has going been to Ballina, his ancestral homes, and he has been very excited by those visits. He's been there before. He's promised to come back. Here's my question for you this morning. If Joe Biden comes back, if he runs again for president, if he gets elected and makes another tour to Ireland, where would you tell him to go? Uh, there's only so much you can see of Ballina, let's face it. Beautiful though it is. Uh, where would you ask him to go? What is in your locality that you think would take a presidential visit? Do get in touch with us today at the home show at newstalk.com and you're very welcome along to the show. Now, it's Los Angeles, a city renowned for its glitz, glamour and larger than life personalities. And it takes something really special to get people's attention. Well, if you were perusing the pages of the Business Post last week, you would have seen that the infamous L.A. dream home known as The One finally sold for $125 million. But the new owners need to spend another $20 million just make the toilets flush. Well, joining me now uh, to chat about the sale of the house and the Irishman behind its design is Marion McKeown, US correspondent with the Business Post. Marion, thank you for joining us from the other side of the pond. Describe this house for us, will you? Sinead, first of all, can I say it's an absolute pleasure to be on your show. And you know, I am a fantastic admirer of yours, huge admirer of yours. So <laughs> let's very go. Kind. Uh, okay, this house this house now looks, honestly, it looks like it landed from another planet. That's partly, it's in Bel Air, so it's near the Bel Air Hotel. It's where, you know, everything in Bel Air is fabulous, but this is just about 100 times more fabulous than the rest. It looks like it landed from another planet. That's the only way I can describe it. And a planet where they have far more taste and money than we have. <laughs> <laughs> so it is absolutely, It's there. there's a moat. So, you know, there hasn't been a moat around a house since, I, I don't know, the, the, the plague year, I would say. But this has a moat around it, which is also a swimming pool. Now, it's huge. It's absolutely massive. It's got, um, I think it's got 42 bathrooms, <laughs> as far as right. I remember, and eight half bathrooms. Just don't forget the half bathrooms. They're very important. It's got a swimming pool. It's got a cigar room. 
But it's this sort of really futuristic looking uh, place. It sort of looks partly like a really elegant UFO. It's got very clean lines, all white, beautiful curves. Uh, the, the pool, the cigar room. They were going to have an entire room that was uh, four walls full of glass and water and filled with jellyfish. I don't know what happened to that idea. It didn't make the cut, didn't make the final uh, grade. But, but but the house itself, as I say, it's it's um, there's just something about somebody who goes big and goes bold. And as you said, it's an Irish architect, Paul McLean, who I think has done the most amazing job. Now, I don't know why. Um, there were a number of things about the sale. First of all, it was offered for 500 million. Secondly, the, the, um, the developer, who's a very flamboyant guy, very well known guy, I think went a bit bonkers on the extras. And uh, basically, he was getting more, more money from his investors. Then the investors started getting cold feet. Then you had this thing in LA starting from the 1st of April where any house, it's called a mansion tax, basically, any house sold for more than $10 million had a 5.5% sales tax slapped on it. Now, that um, on a house that's worth 500 million, you're talking <laughs> about your, your maths are much better than mine today, but you're probably talking about Ooh, a lot of millions, a lot of millions in extra tax. So they were desperately trying to sell, but nobody wanted it. It became a bit of a white elephant. I think for various reasons, it wasn't finished and it needs another 20 million spent on it. And anyway, it was sold by auction. It went uh, for, as you say, 126 million. The auction fees were 12 million. Would you buy six houses for, for even something very expensive? Even in Dublin, maybe, yeah, possibly. Dublin. Pe- well, in, in yeah, yeah. The, the less, uh, the less uh, salubrious regions, possibly. Um, so, Mary, okay, so like, okay, well, let, let's go back then. So, bathrooms, like, we love a fancy bathroom on the home show. Oh, we do. But honestly, is there anyone who needs 42 of them in one you house? You see, I, I mean, think when you Where do a would house you be caught like short at every corner? <laughs> Well, you might be, you might, uh, for somebody with extreme incontinence, it might be a great gift well, <laughs> to yes. have a bathroom every now, five yeah, feet down, I'm, I was down reading the corridor. through your report. So, like, there's only 21 bedrooms. Now, I'm saying only 21 because this thing looks like the size of a hotel. It's 105,000 square, square feet. Now, I mean, my house in Dublin is, I think, a god. Jeepers, I don't even know. Would it be 150 square feet? Does that sound right? Or 200? <laughs> no, anyway, prob- probably anyway. square metres. <laughs> so, um, so, well, anyway, 105,000 is hotel size. You know, it's and it, it's decent hotel size. The grounds are beautiful as well. And, you know, as I say, it's got five swimming pools. It's also got an indoor glass enclosed running track. Now, to me, that sounds not that I would be you'd catch me dead running anywhere glass enclosed or not. But um, that sounds a little claustrophobic. And it's got all, all, you know, every every house in, in L.A. has a, a cinema. So right, it's got all of, of those things. But as you say, the 21 bedrooms, these are houses for entertaining. When you buy at this scale, you're somebody who has parties nonstop. You're somebody who has, you know, the whole family probably will move in and never leave. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's, you know, it's for lavish entertaining. As I said, there's a cigar room in it, which is certainly bigger than my entire house. And I didn't even think people smoke cigars anymore. Well, there you, you know, go. I, it seems to be coming de, de rigueur now. A, a 10,000 bottle wine cellar, a two-story. Yeah. 
story yes. library, which I'm in favour of, right. a sky deck All with a putting green and, of course, staff quarters. Because, I mean, you're not going to be doing your own hoovering here, really, are you, Marion? That has 105,000 square feet worth of carpet or whatever. Uh, yeah, I actually thought, you know, to me, I said between the moat and the staff quarters, I'm thinking it's like a cross between sort of Henry VIII and Downton Abbey, but mm. really in the future. Like if you took all of those sort of notions and you put them into the most ultra modern streamlined house possible. Um, as I say, it looks like a big, beautiful spaceship, you know, when, yeah. when, when you go by it. Well, uh, now, so, yeah. I don't know if there's a hair salon in it, but there's been, as you said, a severe oh, yeah, hair a cut beauty, oh, on the yes, price. There's a beauty salon <laughs> oh, there and there's, there's a beauty salon and a gym and <laughs> everything. So, so 500 million, I mean, half a billion quid for a house designed. Yeah. Uh, was this developer you know, just somebody who took a notion because I know it was 10 years in the building and it was like a flight That's of fancy right. and then just couldn't flog it in the end. Is that is that what happened? You know, this guy is a very flamboyant guy. He's done other big houses before. He's a well-known, as you say, said earlier, he's one of those larger-than-life characters. Um, but he did get the investors and he wanted to build the ultimate home, like the absolute mm. ultimate. The reason it's called the one is that basically the idea is that you're never going to get a better home than this. Yeah, and for yeah. 500 million, you'd be very disappointed if there was a better was home exactly, out there. Absolutely. But it, but it went for 75% off. Now, you know, it begs the question, when is 75% off a bargain when it's still 126 million? Mm. You know, um, and as I say, when you still have to spend another 20 million on it, and when the taxes, the yearly taxes, I've no idea what they are, but they'd probably be horrendous. But there are people with that kind of money. Houses go in L.A. for upwards of 150 million on quite a regular basis. There was Gosh. a lot sold um, just before this new tax came in the 1st of April. And, and real estate agents were offering people Maseratis and luxury holidays and anything they wanted if they just signed the damn line. Just sign the line and get it sold and so, you know, this so we don't kind have to pay of, the tax. So this kind of haircut, as I say, on the house, is this reflective of the wider LA market? Is it is it the sales tax impacting? Is it a new tax? And, and Oh yeah, this is a new tax. And, and what is its purpose? Right. Th this new tax, as I say, it's called the mansion tax. LA has, uh, and it's one of the ironies, it has the worst homeless problem of almost anywhere I have ever been. Mm. There are at least 30,000 homeless people in LA sleeping on the streets, sleeping in parks, sleeping under bridges. And, and there are vast encampments. We're talking like hundreds of people living in encampments. They've been trying to tackle it. The new mayor, um, Karen Bass, was just elected in 2020. She said, I'm making homelessness my priority. Now, everyone else has said that as well. They've thrown billions at the problem. It's not that they're not spending the money, but they're not fixing it. But now they've decided that with this tax, as I said, 5.5% of anything over uh, 10 million. So you're talking half a million dollars straight away in a $10 million sale. Anything between Five and ten, it's four percent. So it's going to bring in a lot of money. Brad Pitt just sold his house um, in Los Feliz. He bought it for one point nine million from Elvira, Queen of the Dark, and he sold it for thirty nine million. Wow. Now he managed to get it sold and get the, them to sign on the dotted line days before the tax came in. Otherwise, 
I think he would have had to pay upwards of about two million in taxes. Uh, so, you know, just on this one tax alone. Uh, now, some people think it's a little unfair, Sinead, because it's a tax. It's not a tax on the profit you made. Now, Brad Pitt would have been fine. As I said, he bought it for less than two million. He sold it for 39 million. Boo hoo, you know. But um, but for somebody who, say, bought a house for, you know, 10 million and sold it for 10 million or even eight million, you know, whatever, they'd still mm. have to pay that tax. Mm. So it's not a tax on profit. But it is a tax that they say we're going to have to deal with the homeless issue. And this was voted in. Now, ironically, some of the wealthiest places like Calabasas, home of the Kardashians, of course, uh, Hidden Hills and Malibu, they are their own little cities within a city. So they're ruled by their own laws and they've opted out of this tax. So ironically, some of the areas that have the most fabulous houses will remain immune to it. But for everybody else, they've got to pay up. Right. Okay. And of course, when you're looking at houses of this level, it's a massive amount. And it is hard to kind of breach that gap between that extreme poverty and then this this mega mansion stuff. There's something distasteful about that. Um, Now, finally, Marion, with your political hat back on, uh, President Biden's visit to Ireland, has it registered in the States? Are the Irish identifying voters excited by it? No, you know, not that it hasn't registered. There is no real Irish voting bloc in America. Irish voters, we saw Donald Trump's uh, cabinet was chock a block full of Irish people, literally. You, you know, they, they were almost all Irish. There are a lot of Irish Republicans. Some are Democrats, you know, it, it, but there's no... um, Irish people don't vote Irish, if you will. They vote taxes, they vote abortion, anti-abortion, they vote climate change. You know, they vote all the issues everybody else votes on. But I think that, look, this is is a trip that is a a win-win. I mean, it's, you know, it's good for for Ireland to be getting in the news in America, but also it's good for Biden to be seen in a country where he is so obviously welcome, where Mm. he's so obviously Mm. having a good time. And I think that, you know, in terms of his his re-election campaign because I really think he will run again. He's going to have pictures of cheering crowds and welcome Joe, etc. And there is something of the Uncle Joe about him. He's a very affable guy. He's an easy guy to like. And uh, once he's, he starts talking, you can't stop him. And um, ever since I've met him first more than 20 years ago, I've never heard him utter a sentence without an Irish reference yeah, in it. Yeah. And he it is authentic. Has a huge yeah. affection yeah. for Ireland. And he always talks about his sainted Irish mother and, you know, whatever he's he's a very sentimental sort of Irish man mm. and but you know it's th- that sort of level of affection and and interest in Ireland is never a bad thing you know no, now no. having said that he is the president of America so people who think that he'll be doing special deals on corporate tax rates and all that forget that you know he won't but but he has a genuine affection for and interest in Ireland and that can't do any harm at all indeed with all of those people more Irish over there than there are uh, here as they say Marion McKeown oh, uh, US million. US correspondent with the Business Post. Thanks a million for joining us on The Home Show. And just to say for anybody who wants to find out more, a little bit more about that fabulous house Marion is talking about, The One, well, the Dublin-born, based in LA, architect Paul McLean, who designed it, uh, is going to be coming and joining us on The Home Show in a few weeks. He's called the Mega Mansion King. And if you have any questions for him, get them into us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com and I will put them to him. Marion, it's been fantastic uh, talking to you. (laughs) Okay. Take care. All the best. Always a pleasure. Bye-bye. You are listening to The Home Show podcast produced by News Talk Radio and I'm Sinead Ryan. 
there is certainly lots and lots of talk of houses and how they are used and short term lets and Airbnb and all of that. So rural Airbnb owners in tourism hotspots are now set to escape the strict new regulations for short term letting which were proposed by the government after the EU has forced it into a climb down. But what will that mean for our rural communities and will the revised guidelines divide the country in two? Well Gabba Gatavakaicha, political reporter with the Irish Independent, joins me now to discuss all this. Gabby, you're very welcome to the Home Show. Thanks, Sinead. Now, so as we understand it, rural Airbnbs in rent pressure zones, which is pretty much everywhere now, will not have to apply for planning permission if their population is under 5,000. Talk to me a little bit about what the government's thinking was on this and what they've had to do. Yes, so it follows a really quite, um, I would say, severe slapdown from the European Commission. Um, so we know that the Irish government tried to bring in their own laws to clamp down on Airbnb. So if your listeners can recall, for example, you know, making Airbnbs, having to register with Falter Ireland, and then when they advertise their properties on short-term letting websites such as Airbnb, Booking.com, Expedia, they would have to put in that um, registration number and if they fail to do so, they can be fined and the short-term letting platforms can be fined also. So the European Commission went off, had a look at these proposals. The only reason why these proposals had to go to Europe was because there is already a clampdown being brought in on a European basis. Um, so they had to have a look at the Irish legislation and see is it compatible with the European and in short, the answer was no. They pushed back the deadline, even though everything was supposed to kick in, you know, at some stage this year, this clampdown. It's actually now been pushed towards the end of the year, may even be ne- early next year. So what happens now? Well, the Irish government said, look, had a look through this damning letter that they received from the European Commission, outlining the reasons for the slapdown. And one point that they're happy to concede on is this issue of rural homes. So... The European Commission made the point that, you know, this strict new system that you're bringing in applies indiscriminately to all properties. So be it an apartment in Dublin or be it an Airbnb in rural Kerry. Um, And the point that they're making is that the Airbnb in rural Kerry does not necessarily push up the cost of rents in Mm. that area. Whereas if you have too many Airbnbs in Dublin city centre, obviously rents could be pushed up for long term rentals because there's less properties available to rent. So what the government is looking to do now, and this is something the Department of Housing officials are exploring, is if you have a property that is on rented out on a short-term basis, um, if it's within a rent pressure zone, which, yes, a lot of the country is covered by it, but some places aren't, especially in very rural places. But if you are within the rent pressure zone, and if you are in a small town where the population is less than 5,000, you still will have to register, but you won't have to apply for special planning permission for that property to be used you know, mm. as an Airbnb or booking.com, uh, short-term less. What did you think, Gabby, was the government's thinking, our government's thinking around kind of bringing in these stricter measures anyway? I mean, it wasn't as if the rural B&Bs, the holiday homes, the stuff out in the Bear Peninsula was ever going to be used to solve homelessness or to to cause, a, you know, a clampdown on the housing problem, which after all is the government's problem. So, what, like, where were they going with this legislation in the first place, do you think? So, the point of the clampdown was, I think it was 
So Tourism Minister Catherine Martin is overseeing this and, you know, she had a great soundbite, which was that through the clampdown, we're going to bring back 12,000 um, short-term rental Airbnbs into long-term rental use. So basically, we're going to add in 12,000 properties into the long-term rental market. And they put in this blanket clampdown, um, which applied to really all properties. And the European Commission is sort of saying, well, this isn't really that well thought out because mm. the restrictions are quite severe. You know, you have to register a fault to Ireland. You have to put the number on the advert. And if you don't, you, fa- you face serious consequences. And of course, if you rent out the property all year round, or I think it's 90 days a year, you can actually rent it out as a short-term life. You know, you do need to have special planning permission. So it's basically to force people to go off and get that planning permission. And of course, if it is that if the property is, you know, in a central city location, the local authority might be less than willing mm. um, to give mm. to give that planning permission. So in a lot of cases, those properties were being operated as short term lets. I mean, illegally, for the lack of a better word, they did mm. not have the special planning permission. And the government really tried to clamp down on that a little bit. But the EU obviously had other ideas. And is there any kind of follow through? Because, I mean, look, you you can hop on Airbnb in Ireland, in Dublin. You can still find short term lets. You know, the chances are some of them at least are doing so under the radar. Is there any effective policing going on? It's one thing the government bringing in sweeping new rules. It's another thing people being caught. Yeah, and, and this is really where the crux of the issue lies. I mean, the reality is, is that you, if you decide to operate your home as an Airbnb, um, you know, all year round, the reality is um, that you probably don't have planning permission. Um, and the councils aren't really going after those people that don't have the required planning permission. So there is a set number of days that you can operate without planning permission. But after that, you do need to get the special permission. Um, and the reality is, like, if you look at the numbers of councils that have granted those planning applications, it's very, very few. But then mm. if you also look, and, and we in the Irish Independent, we had a look at this a couple of, I think it was even last year now at this stage, where we had a look at the number of properties available on Daft in a certain area. We cross-checked that with the number of properties available to rent on Airbnb. And then we had a look at how many investigations and warning letters had been initiated by the local council in that area um, to properties that they, they perhaps are suspicious of that may, they may be operating without the required planning permission. The number of properties on DAS was very low. The number of properties on Airbnb was very high. And the number of investigations or, or uh, warning letters sent out was extremely slim. I think there was 11 yeah. counties that weren't, hadn't done really anything to clamp down on those properties. So that was really the government's thinking behind it. But I think, you know, the issue for them also, never mind just, just the climb down on the rural side, but the EU is also bringing in their own laws. And, um, you know, if you're bringing in Irish legislation is, is, is one legislation and then the EU is doing something very similar, you know, once EU law is enacted, it automatically applies mm. here. So the question kind of begs to be asked, like, is there really a need for Ireland to do something separate? Yeah, indeed. And of course, will anybody pay any attention to it? Now, what are the fines for those then who don't log their properties on the red, who don't register, who don't do anything, I mean, on the basis that they're caught at all, uh, like, is there a kind of more heft being applied to punishing these people or is the government stepping back and saying, right, we're back to square one now, we have to do something else? Yes, so I believe the fines are €300 Euro if you don't register your property. Um, and ah, sure, listen. Sure, that's like, that's a weekend's accommodation. Well, look, it, 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 it perhaps may be a small fine, but they're also clamping down on the short-term letting websites. You know, if they're found to have listed 
um, adverts without the registered mm. without the registration number, it's a five thousand euro fine per listing. So the onus is also on the Airbnb, the Booking.com, the Expedias to come after these landlords mm. that are operating if they haven't registered. But the key point here is it's very easy to register your property. But, you know, if you are, um, for example, operating for a set number of days, 21 days a year, you have it registered. And then the other whatever is left of 90 days, you know, 60 something um, to evade the planning permission. Like, is somebody coming after you in that space? Yeah. Look, yeah. it's going to take, I think, a lot of cooperation between Falter Ireland, between the local authorities. And in fairness, the opposition making the point that, like, are you going to give in extra staff to city and county councils to actually do the work? Mm. Has the government been embarrassed by this, Gabia? Look, it's not a good look when the European Commission comes back and sends your department a da- really quite a damning letter. I mean, the letter is, is quite stark. It's full of Europe speak. You have to read it several times to understand it. <laughs> but like they make their points very clear. I mean, they're saying, you know, it's too restrictive. You're putting in such restrictive measures. How are you going to do all of this? You know, they're raising yeah. a lot of very serious concerns. And really, it's a little bit of an embarrassment for, for tourism minister Catherine Martin, because she's been the one overseeing all of this. Mm. Indeed. All right. Well, Gabia Gatavakaiche, political reporter with the Irish Independent, thanks for bringing us up to date with those rules and for joining us on the Home Show today. Thank you, Sinead. Now, my next guest is described as one of Ireland's busiest production designers. He's worked in the film and television industry for the past 30 years and his list of credits is, well... It's longer than this show would take. He's about to start working on the second series of the hit RTE drama, The Dry. And he joins me in studio now. Derek Wallace, you're very welcome to the home show. Thank you. Um, I'm watching The Dry, uh, the first series. Uh, I'm nearly finished it. It's grown on me. I I wasn't sure at the beginning, uh, but I just think it's fantastic. And uh, the acting is really good in it. And it's kind of got that dark humour that's kind of fun. But I'm fascinated by the settings in it you know it's it's just the Dublin landscape and the suburban houses and all that but let's start at the beginning just in case people don't know what is it that a production designer does so a production designer essentially uh, as as the title says designs the look of the production so in conjunction with directors and with producers and location management it's to find locations or if we're building sets that go with the characters that are written in the script. And in the case of the Dry, they are a dysfunctional family who live in a house that has been in the family home for probably the last 30 years. So, you know, in cases like that, it's fine. The pivotal thing is to find their home for the family and then work everything else around that with the characters. So you would be involved then at the very beginning of the production in most cases, I mean, you'd probably be dealing with the the producers and the director from the very, very beginning rather than kind of, you'd have to scout locations and look for uh, places and all that, you know, really when, when they decide to go ahead with the production. Yes, a lot of the time is that when I, when I, I get engaged in a production, producers would ask me, check my availability. They would send me a script. I would read it, see if I'm interested. If I am, we talk. Then, you know, sometimes I've been on productions where there's been, I've been on before a director. Um, and then mostly the director is already engaged at that point. Or So in conjunction with the director and then the director of photography, we have discussions. Uh, locations people are also on very early, but they also need a brief so it's not just the case where they're going looking willy-nilly. You have to brief them on what your vision is for the programme or the film, whatever it's going to be, 
whatever that vision is, they have to be briefed, which just gives them, you know, a heads up on where they need to start looking, whether it's domestic houses or industry or, you know, depending on what the script is. And when it's domestic houses, because in, in this particular series, it you know, a lot of it is based around a neighbourhood. Um, do you... Do you use regular people's houses or do you build a set and just do the exterior shots? It's a mixture of both, but by and large, um, now we use, yes, we use people's houses. Right. Yeah. So how would somebody get their house featured on a drama or on a, and I presume like it's things like ads and, you know, other types of programmes as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because I do a lot of television commercials also. Um, and I did, a lot of the locations, guys, they have their own guild, they have the Locations Guild of Ireland, and they have a huge database of houses that have been used before. There's also, you know, there's a lot of places that are repeat locations. A lot of locations are used that are used in commercials are repeat locations. And if you look at a lot of TV commercials, they're primarily kitchens. You see the same kitchens coming yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, kitchens. Kitchens are a big thing in commercials. Won't be able to um, see that now. I'd be yeah. looking for the same ones. And when they come in, I mean, obviously that's hugely disruptive. So uh, uh, your kitchen mightn't suit the particular ad or the particular drama that's going on. So do they like dicky it up and take out, put in new furniture and paint it and all that kind of stuff? Constantly. We're constantly repainting yeah. people's houses taking out furniture because the furniture and the look dictates the, the story so you have to give them a backstory whether it's the kitchen living room or, you know in the case of the dry the house we use is in Cabinteely and but we redecorated the entire house painted it you know added bits to the kitchen yeah because the, it's in a it's kind of like a 1980s 90s vibe yeah, in it's it. a beautiful house yeah and then we built the whole the shed in the back garden as a complete build from where scratch. the son lives yes, out exactly. with his yeah. dasser mates yeah. <laughs> okay yeah so that's a complete build from scratch so it's all it's all about it's all about characters and where they live so primarily there's very few locations you would go to where you would say this is perfect we don't need to do anything yeah, you always yeah. need to do something and families sign up for this then do they and they just vacate the stuff while you're in there filming and get what do you do at the end <laughs> do, you, do you give it back to them in the original condition or yeah we have a thing what's called the putback agreement so you, you the house goes back exactly the way it was or we can, because we're putting it back we can put it back to the, the way they wanted if they change the colours well in my work I love using wallpaper so I wallpaper a lot of places and in a, some recent jobs particularly on Kin which I did we did a lot of wallpapering in houses and when we went back to do the putback the people have said oh can we keep the wallpaper oh right okay so a lot of them end up yeah, or they like they might like the colours they colors, like the gangster or, yeah, look <laughs> the gangster look yeah. or they go oh I never thought of painting it that colour grey and okay. can we keep the grey okay and when it comes then to the rest of the stuff like because if you're doing something that is of a certain era you're going to have to look for everything from old telephones to you know books to crockery furniture all yeah. that kind of stuff is that hard to source and where where do you get that depending on the period it, it there's quite a there's a number of really good suppliers in Ireland. Um, there is, you know, the store yard in Port Leash. David, he's great. There is Killian McNulty up in the Vintage Hub. There's a lot of quite good Pete's Antiques. There's a lot of them. There's a really great guy in Gort who supplied a lot of furniture for the Banshees of Inishir. And he kind of specialises in kind of cottage furniture mm. and of the era. So there's quite a lot of places. You just have to ferret them out. There's a couple of really good guys in Belfast. We did a film early last year with Liam Neeson and Donegal. And we as you do. we sourced a lot of stuff from uh, from Belfast. So it's just sometimes you might have to bring in stuff from the UK, but I think that's gotten less now. Yeah, 
There's a lot of really good supply. But it strikes me now that attention to detail is really key for you. It, it, you know, to just nail everything right because the last thing you want is to have kind of something out of place, a mobile phone sitting on the corner when it's supposed to be 1973 yeah. or whatever, absolutely, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. And it, things like in the dry, we built in a whole backstory to the house. So when you're watching it, you'll see that there's lots of photographs on the walls. Mm. And there's photographs of all the cast when they were kids or at the communion or things like that. Mum and dad at their wedding. So there's lots of stuff on the walls that are all kind of, even though you don't feature them, it just gives the whole place of backstory. Yeah, yeah, that ambient kind of yeah. vibe that those houses would have had and of course every family home would have had and every bungalow would have well, had. You have to make them look like they mm. belong there and that they actually live there. I think that's the thing is mm. creating an ambience that you can, when you watch it, that you believe that they actually live there. Mm. Now in a lot of modern films, CGI has kind of uh, become such a massive part of films. Do you think it's kind of detracted from the type of work you do or, or is it essential to making movies better at the moment? I think some of it is essential, but I, I my feeling on it is that in-camera will always be best. Like, we have a ruling now in with Dublin City Council is that we're not allowed to use real guns on sets anymore. And so that's... a would have been a problem years ago for the likes of Kin, where there's a lot of guns. Mm. Mm. So everything, and Locate or, or all those, of those type of, yeah. So everything now yeah. to do with guns is all done in post. It's all CGI. So all those flames out of gun barrels, all those people getting shot. Really? That's all done in post. Right. And in some ways it's kind of better because years ago when you shot people on TV and on film, you'd have to put what they call squibs on their Oh, costumes. Oh, oh, like this, yeah. like Halloween bursting yeah, blood exactly. kind of stuff. Yeah. And then you, every time you do that, you have to wait. It has to be a new costume. They have to be cleaned up. They have to be reset. Whereas in post, you can just keep shooting them over and over and over and <laughs> all like day. Like video games. You can just shoot them all day yeah. because it's going to be done later. So um, what's up next for you, Derek? So I'm just about to start the second season of The Dry next week. Great. Well, that's good news and yeah. exclusive for us. It's going ahead with the second yeah, season, right? it's going ahead right? with the second okay. season. So I'm starting that next week. Um, and then the industry is, has been very buoyant as you know over the last couple of years it's been really really busy and hopefully it'll keep on going like that but it's a hand to mouth existence in the film industry so you don't really know where your next job is until mm. you know everybody's a freelance yeah yeah Pretty much so, everyone is freelance. Yeah. Well, it sounds to me like you're not going to be short to work anytime soon. You're obviously Hopefully. very, very busy. And uh, I'm very grateful for you to coming into studio today and getting involved. And if somebody wanted to have their house uh, featured or used, how would they go about doing that? You mentioned the Locations I Guild. Would, I would go on to, they ha- they're on uh, Instagram, the Locations Guild of Ireland, if you go on there. And I'm sure, yeah. I think they have a website as well. And you just can look up Locations Guild Ireland and I'm sure... You can add your kitchen to the mix. Add, add the kitchen or the house yeah. to the mix. They're always looking for new and exciting locations. To Very film good. It. All right. Uh, who knew, everyone? Well, that's something that you can maybe look at uh, for this weekend. Derek Wallace, uh, production designer, art director. Uh, thanks for joining us on The Home Show. You're welcome and thanks for having me. And you're very welcome back to the Home Show podcast here on News Talk Radio. I'm Sinead Ryan. And when it comes to home design, starting with a blank canvas can actually be much more challenging than having all your designs in place and something to change. Well, thankfully, Arlene McIntyre of Ventura Design joins me now with some of her tips on decorating those bare spaces. Arlene, you're very welcome back to the Home Show. Good morning, Sinead. Thank you for having me. Now, let's go through uh, a few places in the home where the blank walls can give you a bit of a fright. And I think the first one, of course, for anybody is going to be the hallway. Now, we have 
it seems to me, transformed our hallways into a whole meet and greet, you know, yeah. room of their own rather than just quick, quick, quick into the sitting room. They've now become that that space themselves. So talk to me a little bit about getting it right and getting it wrong. Well, currently, I love uh, including wall panelling on the walls mm. in a hallway. It's I think having that its moment, isn't it? Yeah, definitely is. And it also helps kind of create zones within the panelling that you can feature things within. So, for example, you can put a lovely collage of family photographs, beautifully framed with coordinated finishes around that, those frames in within the panel itself. And then you can also feature beautiful wall art, may it be um, gorgeous art that you've collected, uh, mirrors. It can be a lovely way to introduce a console table within the panel with a mirror over it and wonderful styling on the console table. So there's so many areas open to you uh, with wall panelling. And, I, and I'm a huge fan of wall panelling and I think it's absolutely beautiful. But I'm always wondering, like, sometimes if you do it incorrectly, it can foreshorten your, it can actually make your wall look more closed in, your hallway more closed in, which is what a very narrow space in a lot of homes. So how do you get the proportions right, Arlene? It's really important to get, um, if you were working with a designer, they could create an elevation for you. So you can actually see how the panelling will look before it's fitted. If you're working directly with the joiner, it might be an important to ask that person to just scale it all up for you on a sketch drawing so you can get a, a vibe for how it's actually going to look on the finish. Some people like going for the half wall panel. Some people like going for the full wall panels. So it really does depend on your space. Now, of course, it's a great showcase, as you said, for art and pictures and paintings, because actually the panel can act as a frame in itself. Yeah. Uh, and of course, look, people love the whole gallery wall thing or a kind of a splash yeah. of neon or a poster or something. So should you avoid kind of could you contain that to one panel or avoid um, maybe crowding it too much? Yes, I think the, the key is to keep everything very light and bright. So again, it depends on how long your your hallway is, as you rightly said. But if you feel like you need to add width to your hallway, for example, I'm working on a project now where I'm putting a full mirror inside a bead. So it's literally doubling up the entrance of this hallway and it's totally transforming the space. So it can really get you out of tricky situations. If you're in a dark hallway and you need more light or you need more width, mm. it can act in many ways in the right way for you. Now, let's move into the living room because like most homes now, if they still have a fireplace or even if they have, you know, the, the new kind of underfloor heating and all that, there's often a mantle and two alcoves, one either side. Yeah. Uh, that can be kind of a bit worrisome. Uh, what are you going to do? What are you going to put there? What's your recommendation? Well, yes. I mean, a lot of homes are being built without fireplaces at the moment. So we would introduce electric fires in those instances because it's nice to still have a focal point within the room. And again, those rooms can, without a fireplace can seem like very long, bare walls. So there's many options for you there. You can create a mock chimney breast. You can introduce an electric fire. You can have consoles each side of the electric fire or your fireplace. You can put mirrors or art over them. So there's wonderful things that you can do with long walls just to break the spance on them. Now, you're a big fan of the old built-in, the custom-made joinery, and it yes. is beautiful when it's done. But, you know, what's the balance between open shelving and storage? And do you stick the telly in there or, yes. or how do you best do it? 
Yes, well, you see, it's all down to budget, of course, Sinead. So sometimes working with console tables can give you the same symmetry as having two bookcases. But if your budget affords it and you can go for beautiful bespoke joiner each side of your chimney breast or your mock chimney breast, uh, it's an excellent way to display and showcase all of your memorabilia, picture frames, objects, accessories, room scents, books and so on. I I absolutely love working with bookcases. And I actually love putting a mirror behind the bookcase to bounce more light around the space. Now, I have seen some uh, fairly horrific designs, uh, mostly the Instagrammable stuff from celebrities where they're (laughs) they're doing things like turning the books kind of page side out to have that beige wall or colour coding it instead of doing it by like genre or author. Like, I, I... Books are meant to be read. So uh, what is your advice for generating a bookcase that's functional but also looks quite pretty? I think it is nice sometimes to try and coordinate your, your the binds of the books so that they kind of tone in with the room, if you like. But they should connect with you in some way as well. So I, I like grouping things in threes. I think that works really well. So you might consider having two books stacked with a lovely object sitting on top of it, perhaps a candle, or you might bring in a plant that sits behind the book with another sort of object like a ceramic vase. Especially so if they're going nice to be those gorgeous those gorgeous coffee table books that you're never going to read, but they look fab on the Exactly. <laughs> right, okay. All right. Now, in the kitchen, uh, there's not too much scope for a blank wall in a kitchen. You know, it's very functional. People have yeah. storage and all kinds of things they need. Floating shelving has become a kind of a byword now. Talk to me a little bit about that. Well, it's, an, it's a great way to add in a bit of personality and styling to your space. So again, I like floating shelving where you can again introduce greenery. I love seeing greenery in a kitchen. I love seeing a glass vase with perhaps lemons and limes in them just to add in a punch of freshness to the kitchen space. Or it can be a really nice place to kind of display herbs, you know, in beautiful bottles, just to create a bit of interior styling to your kitchen. But it could also be functional. And of course, so many of our kitchens now are doubling up as sitting areas and eating areas and cooking areas. So when you're trying to delineate out that separate space and you're moving from one to another, um, you know, and you don't have a wall or or a kind of divider. So give me some ideas about how you can kind of say you're in a different bit of the kitchen now. Yeah, well, of course, it's really, you know, there's an opportunity to get a really nice console table beside the dining table up against a wall that you can build a lovely arrangement up on or a or open bookcase that can sit beside the dining table on a blank wall. And that too can double up as somewhere to put cookbooks, um, you know, your herbs, uh, ceramic bowls, greenery. I love wooden bowls and kitchens. Um, and I love displaying fresh fruits and bowls as well. Mm. And of course, with all that open shelving now, you have to be a good bit tidy. Uh, you have to be an yeah. organised kind of person. How important is it, do you think, to have the matchy-matchy kind of delf and everything kind of colour coordinated? Well, I mean, it really does depend on your lifestyle. If you've got little kitties that you're you're concerned about, that they're going to pull things around and down, you always have to think about real life and what works for you. Um, that's where I think I'd introduce lovely wicker baskets, which you're seeing a lot of. They're really on trend. They add warmth and texture to the space. Um, again, everything can be hidden inside a, a lovely big wicker basket um, if it's placed on the shelf. And then you can display some nice 
larger objects beside it. So it's it it's an, it's a wonderful opportunity to bring in a little personality to the space. Yeah. Another thing to might you might consider is introducing hanging plates in the kitchen, and that's a new trend that the I'm what? seeing coming on. Hanging plates. Yeah. What's that now? Well, well, you might hang beautiful china or porcelain on the wall in a gorgeous arrangement on on one of your walls as like a feature wall. Oh, right. Well, now my grandmother had those bits of crockery and those kind of uh, metal frames put on the wall. That's back in now, is it? Yeah, it's back in. And hanging baskets on the wall is back in as well. So that modern rustic vibe is very strong at the moment. Yeah. And of course, the whole wicker thing, the whole basket thing has taken off. And of course, Ireland produces phenomenal examples of that. I was in somebody's house um, a while back and they had a wicker basket filled with logs, you know, beautiful fire burning logs. They had no fire. They had no fire, Arlene. There was nothing at all. The logs were there for the the look of it and it looked fab. And you're thinking, what are they going to do with the logs? No need to do anything. They just look nice. I know, they just look nice, but like wicker is so amazing and it can actually work in every room in the house. Mm. All right. Well, listen, some fantastic ideas there uh, on getting to the bare walls. Do you love going into a client's house where the walls are bare or do you like working with some kind of... uh, Oh, I love bare walls. (laughs) Do you? Yeah, blank canvas for me, if possible. Start off from scratch. All right. Okay. well, listen, it's fantastic to hear from you and thanks a million for joining us this morning on The Home Show. My thanks to you for listening to the latest episode of the Home Show podcast. I'm Sinead Ryan. And remember, if you'd like to get involved in the show, recommend a guest or a topic you'd like to hear about, we would love to hear from you. You can uh, email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com and let us know what you would like to hear on maybe the next episode. Uh, You can listen to the Home Show every Saturday morning from 8 to 9 on News Talk Radio. And I'd like to thank producers Aoife Breen and Simon Keane this week and Stephen McLoon was on sound and we will do it all again next time and we look forward to your company. The Home Show with Sinead Ryan Saturday morning at 8 with Colour Trend Paint on News Talk.